This is the Mahabharata Podcast, episode 47, The Wedding. You might be interested to know that with the last episode, we are more than halfway through the Book of Virata. This book has been much smoother sailing than the Book of the Forest. Things should stay like this on through the next book as well. I don't expect we'll get bogged down much until we get to the battle books. As for last episode, it began with the news of Kichaka's death reaching the courts of Trigarta and Hastinapur. The Trigarta king, Susharman, combined forces with the Kurus to stage a two-pronged surprise attack on Virata's cattle. I get the strong impression that there wasn't much of this kingdom besides the cattle, because it seems our author could not even remember the name of Virata's capital city. It is referred to as Virata's city many times, but is never named. Likewise, both Susharman and Duryodhana were only really interested in running off with as much cattle as possible. For Duryodhana's part, the whole expedition seemed more of a diversion to keep his mind off of his problem with finding the Pandavas while they are still in hiding. He was fortunate in that Kichaka's death drew him straight to the Pandavas' hiding place, but they were too late. The year of hiding had already expired. It is interesting that even the sagacious Bhishma had a hard time calculating the passing of 13 years. The reason for this seems to be due to the complexity of the ancient Indian calendar. At the heart of the trouble is that a solar year is not easily divided by lunar phases, nor even by earth rotations, i.e. days. A solar year consists of 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds. Our modern calendar glosses over the bad division by padding extra days onto each month and adding a leap year every 4 years. It isn't perfect, but our calendar can go for at least a thousand years before it requires any recalibration. The Indian solution to this is to make each month exactly 30 days, resulting in a 360-day year. This throws a calendar off by more than five days each year. To recalibrate, two extra months are added on every five years. Thus, to arrive at the calculation for 13 full solar years, he determined that by the calendar, the Pandavas had to spend 13 years, 5 months, and 12 days. Bhishma's conclusion, along with the narrator and Arjun, is that the necessary time had passed, if only days before, and thus the Pandavas' exile was officially over with. You can imagine at that time that men of action had only a passing knowledge of arithmetic, so Bhishma's calculations were open for debate. At any rate, Duryodhana accepted his uncle's judgment for the moment, but declared that he will not give up his lands regardless. It is interesting that since we've started into the Book of Virata, Duryodhana is called king, seems to be the one who calls the shots, and his father Dhritarashtra is nowhere to be seen. Perhaps at some point during the exile, blind Dhritarashtra had gone into some kind of retirement. Getting back to the attack on Virata, the allies came up with a pretty good plan. They divided up, and the lesser force of Trigartas attacked first as a sort of diversionary maneuver. Their plan worked in that they managed to draw out Virata's entire fighting force, leaving the rest of the country undefended. Thus, even though the Pandavas helped turn the battle around, and they even took Susharman hostage, they were too far away to respond to the larger Kuru army that had invaded from a different direction. This left only the women and children to defend the kingdom. Fortunately, among the women folk was the hermaphrodite Burhanala, who volunteered to ride out with Virata's heir in sole defense of the kingdom. The Pandavas probably kept a calendar to check off the days of their exile, because Burhanala knew just the moment when she could reveal her true identity, just in time to defend the Matsyas single-handedly. Arjun retrieved his weapons from the cemetery, put Prince Uttara at the reins, and then waited for the Kurus to figure out their own battle strategy. Once the enemy was deployed, Arjun attacked. 
Our June 1st went after the cattle, which was guarded by Deerodena and company. Carno was the first to respond, but Arjun pretty easily sent him fleeing the battlefield. He also managed to kill Karna's half-brother, among others. Duryodhana kept a safe distance, so after Arjun had recovered the stolen cattle, he squared off with Kripa, Drona, and Ashvataman each in turn. Arjun respectfully beat each of them in battle, but did his best to avoid injuring them physically. Karna also returned for a second try, but again he was beaten back, this time with an arrow stuck in his chest. Eventually, Arjun tired of the battle. For whatever reason, perhaps Bhima's oaths or something else, Arjun held back from just killing all their enemies right then and there and ending the epic at Book 4. Instead, he launched a weapon of bewilderment, which stunned and confused the Karava army. With his foes incapacitated in this way, Arjun took their shiny silks as his trophy and rode off. Only Bhishma was able to counter the effects of the spell, but Arjun had lost interest. He shot out Bhishma's horses and rode back to the palace in triumph. When the Karavas finally woke from their stupor, they too had grown tired of the conflict and decided to return to their capital empty-handed. The story picks up with Virata making his triumphant return to his capital city, with the four Pandavas all in positions of honor. When he arrived, he asked where his son, the crown prince, was. His daughter, Uttara, replied, Oh, while you were gone, some more raiders showed up on the border. It was those Kuru guys, and they came to steal our cattle. The Kurus were headed up by Bhishma, Drona, Kripa, and Karna. So we sent Uttara and the eunuch out to chase them off. He promised to bring back shiny silks. Varatu was shocked at her nonchalance. He said, Stupid girl, the Karavas are much more dangerous than the Trigartas. But you sent your weakling brother along with the transvestite to face them? Surely my son is long dead by now. The king then immediately ordered his army to march out to intercept the invaders. He ordered the troops, quickly, find out whether the prince still lives, considering that he went out with only that eunuch, his chances of survival are slim. A short while later, news arrived that all the stolen cattle had returned to their pens and that the invaders had been routed. Verado was a bit surprised to hear his son had performed so valiantly, but he ordered festivities be prepared and sent musicians to greet the victorious prince as he returned to the capital. Verada then decided he would like to celebrate with a little game of dice. Kanka was summoned to play, but he was a little reluctant. He said, It is not wise to gamble when you are too excited. You stand in danger of losing your possessions, like King Yudhishthira once did. Virata, however, insisted on having his way. It's good to be king. As he and Kanka were thus occupied, Virata marveled at his son's valor. He said he had not realized the prince was such a great warrior. Kanka replied, It doesn't surprise me at all. With Burkhanala as his driver, I can't see how he could have possibly lost. Virata grew annoyed. He said, How can you mention that vile eunuch in the same breath as my glorious son? Your speech is contemptuous and insolent. I shall forgive you this once, but do not speak this way again if you value your life. Yudhishthira, perhaps feeling more kingly now, continued, saying, Look, your boy stood up against the combined forces of Bhishma, Drona, Kripa, Karna, and the king. Who but Brihanala could fight them all together? Virata lost his temper and threw the dice at Yudhishthira, striking him square on the nose. He said, I will not have this spoken in my presence. Yudhishthira had only one concern. The blow had drawn blood, and he moved quickly to prevent it from running on the ground. Draupadi happened to be nearby, and she knew what he was thinking. Swiftly, she seized a nearby bowl and used it to catch the blood that flowed from his injured nose. Just then, Uttara arrived, just from the battlefield, accompanied by Brihanala. An usher announced their arrival. Yudhishthira hurriedly donned. 
Yudhishthira hurriedly ordered a steward to hold Brihanala back and let Uttara come to the palace alone. The author explains that Arjun had once sworn an oath that any place where Yudhishthira's blood was shed would be his enemy. Yudhishthira was afraid that if Arjun saw him bleeding, he might go berserk and kill everyone there. Thus, Uttara came alone into the palace. The first thing the prince noticed was Kanka, face smeared with blood. He asked Virata, who beat him? Who perpetrated this crime? Virata said, I beat this rogue, and less than he deserved. When I praised you, he praised the eunuch. Uttara scolded his father. He said, You have done wrong. Apologize at once before this Brahmin roasts you in his anger. Virata sobered up and apologized. Kanka said, I've already forgiven you. I feel no anger. But if one drop of my blood had touched the ground, you would certainly have perished with your kingdom. I do not blame you because cruelty comes easily to the powerful. When Yudhishthira had been cleaned up, Burkhanala re-entered the court, having resumed her disguise. Virata then quizzed the boy, asking him how he did against the famous warriors of Hastinapur. Uttara replied honestly, giving credit to a heroic sidekick, who stepped in, defeated the crews, and then disappeared. Virata asked, Where is this great warrior? I would like to pay him the appropriate honor for winning my cattle back. Uttara said, This majestic son of a god has disappeared, but I reckon he'll be back in a couple of days. Even though it is unmentioned, Dharma's spell must have been in full force, because Arjun was standing right there in his transvestite costume, and no one asked any questions. Burhanala even handed out the captured robes and clothes to the palace women. None of this is stated overtly, but it appears the Pandavas were holding on to their disguise until they could come out in a more formal and proper style. This happened three days later. The five brothers took a ritual bath, dressed in white robes, and put on their royal adornments. They entered Virata's court and naturally took seats of honor equal to the king. It seems either the spell was still holding, or Virata was just an asshole, because he still hadn't figured out who these guys really were. As soon as he saw them up on the throne, the king complained, I made you my dice master, nothing more. So why have you presumed to sit as my equal? Arjun spoke for his brother, saying, King, this man is worthy to sit on even Indra's throne. He was once the emperor of the world. The Kurus, as well as all the great kings of the earth, waited on him as his servants. Virata asked, If this is Yudhishthira Karavya, then where are his illustrious brothers? This gave Arjun the chance to introduce his remaining brothers, and then himself. Uttara then spoke up, identifying Arjun as the hero who repelled the invading Kurus. Finally, the spell broke, and the facts sank into Virata's thick head. It seems like the first thing to enter his mind was, Holy crap, this big guy has been living with my daughter for the past year. Fortunately, Hindu polygamy provides the perfect solution for this potential scandal. Virata decided he could make his peace, plus a valuable alliance, plus stifling any hint of scandal, by marrying his daughter Uttara to Arjun. He declared, Let the left-handed archer accept Uttara, for he is a fitting husband. Arjun said, I accept your daughter, but as my daughter-in-law. Virata was suspicious. He asked, why won't you take her as your wife? Arjun got straight to the point. He said, I saw your daughter in public and in private, and she confided in me like a father. But I did live with her for a full year, so suspicion is natural. But the fact remains that I have been pure, and have preserved her chastity as well. What better way to dispel suspicion than to marry her to my son, Abhimanyu, who is Krishna's nephew and a great warrior? Virata was convinced, and he agreed to the deal. Abhimanyu would marry Uttara. With this arrangement sealed, the brothers set up their base of operations at another of Virata's cities, Upaplavya. 
From there, they summoned their sons from Dwarka and their allies, including Drupad of Panchala, the kings of Kashi and Shibi, and of course, Krishna. It says Krishna also helped with the matter of the Pandavas' embarrassing circumstances. He brought them each a large retinue of servants and heaps of jewels to tide them over until they recovered their own. Once established with all their relatives and allies in attendance, the Pandavas presided over the marriage of Abhimanyu and Uttara, Virata's daughter. In case you've lost track of the genealogy, I should point out that Abhimanyu was Arjun's son by his second wife, Krishna's sister, Subhadra. This wedding is the final scene of the Book of Virata. We breeze through this particular parva in about three episodes. Our translator makes some interesting points about this particular book. Back when the Pandavas first entered their exile, Bhima suggested that the 13 years of exile could be interpreted as 13 months instead, and they could retrieve their kingdom after just one year. Yudhishthira rejects this interpretation and insists that they serve the full term, but Bhima has provided an interesting hint. As I mentioned earlier, the calendar of the time had 12 months of 30 days each. To correct for the solar cycle, a 13th month was added every five years, during which they held a big party. The Book of Virata has a Bacchanalian element to it, as if it were the 13th month after a year of hardship. The brothers put on costumes, and roles are reversed with the bumbling Virata as king and the noble Pandavas playing the role of servants. While the scene involving Kichaka is deadly serious, there's also a feeling of carnival in the way he plans his infidelities. Furthermore, while we are still only on book 4 out of 18, we've actually reached the midpoint of the story. Thus, the Vrata Parva represents a time for looking forward and for looking back. Draupadi's molestation before the court is a painful reminder of the incident at the dice game that set the story in motion. The story looks forward in the case of Arjun's single-handed victory over all their rivals. Looking even further to the future, we have the wedding of Abhimanyu and Uttara. Getting back to genealogies, it is Uttara's son, Parikshit, who carries the Kuru dynasty into the future. That's all for now. Next time, we'll get a fresh start on Book 5, The Book of the Effort. Thanks for listening. <laughs>